Well, thank you for that. I encourage you to, to find your seats. Now, you might be wondering, what is Mark doing up here already? This is a little early in the service for, for Mark to be up here speaking already. And, well, it's a little bit different today. We're going to uh, take some time throughout our service today to have some personal reflections upon Thanksgiving, but also to see what we can learn about thankfulness and a journey towards thankfulness from the Psalms. Now, here's one thing that I know is that all of us come to Thanksgiving. We all come to this particular day with different events that have been transpiring in our lives. We come to this moment, therefore, with different anxieties, with different stresses, with different celebrations, with different anticipations of wonderful turkeys and times with family, or perhaps that's a prayer item for some people as we go into this day. But here's the thing. Regardless of what you come into this day, into this service with, whether it be celebrations or challenges, all of us feel the pressure to be thankful. And that's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to just automatically be thankful. I remember when I was a little guy, about six years old, my parents and I went over to Betty and Walter Wessner's house for Thanksgiving dinner. This is a couple that we knew from church for many, many years, good friends of my parents. They had a son who was a couple years older than me that I thought was absolutely hilarious and completely idolized him. I remember, I won't tell you stories, but I'll run out of time if I do. He was an amazing, amazing young man who actually to this day is a, is a pastor as well and has gone on to be a professor in a seminary. But here's what also I remember about that particular Thanksgiving and something you need to know about me is that from the time that I was old enough to eat semi-solid food, I have loved stuffing. Stuffing is my absolute favorite thing, especially on Thanksgiving. You know, when I have a whole plate full of food, I can have a nice big pile of turkey with gravy on it and potatoes. I can even have some, some carrots on there and cranberries. But you know what? If you give me simply a plate full of stuffing... I'm a happy, quiet, content six-year-old little Mark. It's really quite that simple. This particular Thanksgiving, I remember we were all seated around the table, and, and, and there it was. The food had been delivered to the center of the table. The lids were still on, but the steam was coming up. I could smell it, and wouldn't you know it, right in front of me, guess what they put right in front of me? The stuffing. It's right, right there. I can see, I can smell it. I know it's right in that container underneath that lid, and so I'm anticipating somebody say the grace reverently quickly, say the grace, because then we're going to pull those lids off, and sure enough, we did. We're seated around the table. The food is there. We say the grace. They pull the lids off. Mrs. Westner put raisins in the stuffing. I, I, some people do that. I, I didn't know that was a thing. Here's something else you need to know about me. I don't like raisins. I don't like raisins. And there was raisins in the stuff. So I stared at it. I'm thinking, well, just pick them out. But I looked closely. No, they're the same color as everything else that's in the stuffing. And I looked, I thought, it looks like she chopped them up. Like, so I started to think, this is a personal affront against me. Mrs. Westner is out to wreck my Thanksgiving dinner. Why do I share this with you? <laughs> well, I share this with you because isn't that how life can be sometimes? Sometimes there's raisins in your stuffing. And if you fixate upon the raisins in the stuffing, you can miss all the other goodness that exists upon your plate. 
And if you fixate upon the raisins in your stuffing long enough, 40 years later, you're still upset with Mrs. Wessner for putting raisins in the stuffing. Can we agree that this happens in our lives? Sometimes we get raisins in our stuffing. Sometimes things don't go perfectly as we expect. Sometimes challenges come up. Sometimes anxieties happen in our lives. And those things are no respecters for the calendar. Just because we've entered into a time of year that is supposed to be understood as a time of joy and peace and hope and love, there's no guarantee that our events are going to line us up to experience those things. So today, for the couple minutes that I have left and the rest of the service going forward, we're going to go on a journey through a couple of psalms and to look at Thanksgiving in those passages. And so for those of you who are here today who have incredible joy in your heart, I hope that these give you opportunity to express that thanksgiving to, to God. For those of you who may have come to this service with challenges in your lives, I, I pray that you will re, be reminded of the God who walks with you through each situation. For those of you who are here and perhaps do not have a personal relationship with the Lord, who, who have not experienced that in your lives yet, I pray that you will experience and find today the reality that God knows you and that he loves you. Most of these psalms we're going to look at today were written by a guy named King David. Now David seemed to have it all in many of the psalms that we look at. He had been God's anointed from a young age. And, and there's a long journey, though, from the anointing to the time he actually got to sit on the throne. He had endured a lot of struggles and strife during those times. But in the end of it, as he was now at this particular time in the story, the king of Israel, he could look back. And he could say, you know what? God was protecting me. I can see where God's provision was given to me. I can see how God has been faithful to me the whole way along the journey. You see, you know, David, this, this one who was called a man after God's own heart, was God's appointed leader, and he was now the king of Israel. He had defeated his enemies. His kingdom was expanding in territory and in peace. Things were going really well. But there were raisins in his stuffing. You see, internal issues still existed within his kingdom. He had taken over the throne from a guy named Saul, who who had battled David for a while on this journey. And even though David was now king, there were still those who didn't want David to be king. So there's some internal conflict that's still taking place. There's, there's external challenges as well. You see, when you expand your territory, when you defeat your enemies, they tend to not totally go away. They tend to want revenge. They, they tend to want to reclaim what they've lost and some of yours in the process. And if you happen to lose your life, then they're okay with that. So there's external challenges taking place as well. And as we read through the Psalms, we also see that on occasion, David had these, inner, these struggles in his inner world as well. As he, as he was challenged with sorrow, with depression, and he was tempted at times, and sometimes he would succumb to those things. So how do we navigate situations like that? What do you do when difficulties arise? When there's so much else going on around that is good. Well, there's one option. There's, there's this one maxim in life we've probably all heard. When life gives you lemons, what do you do? Make lemonade. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That can work. That can work in some situations. For example, if you wanted to go camping on a particular weekend and it snowed, 
And you're like, oh, nuts, I can't go camping. But you know what, let's just, let's just maybe camp in the driveway in the camper there. Or let's, let's stay in the living room and turn the fireplace on and just stay in our pajamas, wrap up in a blanket and have a staycation. You can turn lemons into lemonade in that situation. But what about the more serious issues in life? How do you make lemonade when you lose your job before the holiday season? How do you make lemonade when your kids run away from home? How do you turn lemons into lemonade when the tests come back positive? There's another option. Another option is you can just put your head down and plow through the difficulties that exist in life. This is a common one. Many resilient people do this. When, when the schedules get really busy, when the pressures mount up, just put your head down and plow. This is one of my things. This is what I tend to do. I put my head down, I just, I'll get through it. And as, as I do these things in my own life, I found that, number one, it can be very effective in dealing with the to-do list that exists. It can be very effective in clearing up all the items that have to get dealt with. But I've also found it can be very damaging. It can be very damaging to ourselves and very damaging to those around us. You see, because when you put your head down and plow through a difficult situation, it's just another way of fixating on the raisins. It's like trying to eat around the raisins instead of dealing with them. And in the process of doing so, at times we can get short with people in our lives. We can start to neglect our families. We can succumb to the challenges of escapism. We try to separate from those things. We stop paying attention to ourselves and caring for those around us. We let our guard down. But there's another option. It's actually the option that David chose. And it's one that I want to suggest to you is an enduring option. It's an option that exists in all situations. And, and we find this option in Psalm 86, in verses 11 through 13, where, where David says this. He says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. In these words, David is remembering God's faithfulness to him in the past. He's recalling that God is an ever-ready help in the present. And he is claiming the truth that he is a source, the true source of hope for the future. Teach me, Lord, he says. Lord, Lord, I need you because the situation is beyond me and my own abilities. Lord, give me an undivided heart. God, I fully commit to you, but I know that there's these pressures within me that overwhelm me and they want to they separate me from what I know is right. Give me an undivided heart, Lord. God, even in the midst of these challenges, I will praise you with my whole heart, he says. And then he ends with the phrase, you've delivered me, you will deliver me from the depths. A statement that is not the present reality, but a statement that says, Lord, I will do this, I commit to this, I will follow your ways, and I know if I do, in the future, I have confidence. I am claiming that future reality of deliverance. Good morning. I'd like to share with you from Psalm 107, verses 4 to 9. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. These verses are about those who wandered in a desert. And at one point, I lived in a desert. I lived in the Mojave Desert. And interestingly enough, my experience in that desert was quite similar to the experience of these wanderers. For us, food in our home was a scarcity. We had very little. Our cupboards were often bare. Despite my dad being a full-time school teacher, we could count on a few staples in the house. Margarine, sugar, oats, potato, and baking soda. We would melt the margarine, add in some sugar, and then some oats, and that little concoction would constitute a meal, time and time again. Sometimes we needed something a little different, so then we'd bake up a potato. But this was not your keg steakhouse baked potato. We didn't have the sour cream and the chives and the bacon bits and the grated cheese to accompany it. That type of baked potato was foreign to me. Can you guess what we used the baking soda for? That was our toothpaste. We couldn't afford Crest. Some of you are familiar with the Christmas wish book, the catalog that Sears would put out year after year. Well, for a privileged child, this would be when you would go straight to that fantastic toy section. Not so in my case. My favorite section of the wish book was the fridge section. There would be pictures of not just the outside of the fridge, but more importantly, the inside of the fridge. And the inside of the fridge was full of food. And I can remember thinking, if only. And then I'd go to friends' places and peer inside their fridges, and they would have fridges that looked like the catalog fridges, also full of food. Did I cry out to God during these times of poverty and hunger? Absolutely. We were in trouble. We had no food. We needed a great God to rescue us with his deliverance, his guidance, and his provision. We were wandering aimlessly. Now, I would argue that there is quite possibly nothing more unsettling than not knowing where your next meal will come from. And in my home, at our lowest point, I can remember my parents telling us each to find a friend at school who would take us home during the lunch hour and feed us something. And that was probably going to be our only guaranteed meal that day. So God placed a friend in my path. And without any prejudice, without any question, she would feed me a fried egg sandwich every day. She does not know the blessing that she was to me. God demonstrated his love in miraculous ways and satisfied our hunger. I remember once the doorbell rang, and by the time that we actually got to the door, all that was left behind were four grocery bags full of food. And I remember being ecstatic when I saw a box of fruit roll-ups 
because up to that point, I had only ever seen commercials of fruit roll-ups, and I thought never would I ever have the opportunity to actually eat one. So the verses in Psalm 107 that I shared with you, they have a literal significance for me. And perhaps they have a literal significance for you as well. Or perhaps you found that the Lord has delivered you through a different type of trial. The psalm gives us invitation to reflect on what God has rescued you from. Your despair, your trouble, your sickness, your wandering, what has he brought you through? Has there been a time that you felt at the end of your rope and cried out to him for deliverance? When you think about your own life, how has God heard your cry? How has he restored you? How has he helped and responded? Because God redeems his people from various locations and also difficult situations. He's a rescuer. He's a deliverer. He's a savior. And not because we do something to earn that. I mean, oftentimes the only thing that we've done is cried out for help. But God's compassion is so great. His love is so steadfast that he gladly reaches out and rescues us in his own perfect way, in his own perfect timing. I think about those black and white movies, the silent ones from a while back. And there'd be a bad guy. And there'd be a damsel in distress who he would tie to the railroad tracks. And then there would be a sheriff who was kind of the knight in shining armor. And he'd come galloping in on his white steed to rescue her. But when did the sheriff arrive? The sheriff didn't arrive while the train was still in the town down the road loading passengers. And the sheriff doesn't arrive after the train has already plowed through and flattened the helpless dame. No, the sheriff arrives just in time, just in the nick of time, because this produces the best story. And God has the best story intended for you and your life. God's perfect timing, God's perfect plan. It's not always going to align with what you think is the perfect plan or with what you think should happen. Because we have to remember that the definition of deliverance is not to prevent everything difficult. Sometimes it's provision, but sometimes it's prevention. And when it's provision, we can know that God is giving us the strength to go through that desert and he walks alongside us in that dreary land. He has a covenant with his people to be faithful, good, loyal, and kind. He expresses grace and mercy and he provides a sure foundation for us to stand on. His love endures forever and this is good news. This news should cause us to break out in an unending gratitude because we're not left hopeless. We have so much to be thankful for. God is good. We can trust him no matter what we have gone through or what we face. We have a redeemer who is faithful to give us an ultimate hope that we will not fail with him by our side. 
Despite what's going on around you today, you have reason to praise God. You have an everlasting hope. You are the redeemed of the Lord. So offer him your praise today. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen, church, amen. His love truly endures forever. Have we ever thought about some of the lyrics that we sing in these songs? We proclaim forever, always, never ending, in all situations, good or bad. We can sing praise to our God, knowing that in all situations, he is present and there with open arms. I invite you now to open to Psalm 105. Keep your finger there. We'll be looking at it later. We're not going to talk at it now, but um, just so you can follow along later on, you'll be there already. Today, we've been sharing about Psalms, like 105, and sharing some personal stories um, about how we see God at work in our lives and the lives of, of others. Mark focused on the raisins in the stuffing, but dis trusting in God despite those raisins. Dina talked about God's deliverance and his love as a whole thing and something that is perfect and we could be thankful for that. Today I'm gonna to share a story of something I feel can truly be a story that causes us all to leave this place with a sense of thanksgiving, good theme, and excitement for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in the time to come. The story of three families. There is this one family that was a huge part of my walk as an early Christian and still is a part of my life. And they showed me a great deal of what it means to be a family focused on God in all areas, whether good or bad. This story is about the ability of being thankful for blessings and then being observant and willing to hold those blessings with an open hand. There's another family that was in need a lot. They never asked for anything unrealistic. They never asked for anything unneeded they simply asked for the necessities because they struggled to make those ends meet. So at times where everyone has the ability to splurge, like buy the turkey, buy the ham, buy the stuffing, buy those extra things, they weren't able to provide those things for their kids. This family, the one that has impacted me early on in my life in the Christian walk, has secretly supported that other family every year in those times of need by giving an amount of money, hundreds of dollars every time, to this family by simply leaving it on their door, walking away, and leaving a note of, this is God's blessing to you. Now you may be wondering why I even know this if they've done it in secret. Um, and to remove all doubt, no, I'm not the needy family, and no, we're not the, the family that blessed them. However, one year when they were gonna be away, Jacqueline and I were blessed with the opportunity to carry on this secret tradition. And so there, were, there weren't any strings attached to this. They simply said, you need to bless this one family and with what, the rest of the money that we're gonna give you, you can bless whoever you see with open eyes that is in need. And so we did that. We went to their house, we placed that money. To this day, people still don't know. My parents are here today and they still don't know that this family does this. And they're very close with this family and they have no idea. And so this family has blessed this family throughout all the years that I've known them. And they've also shared this with their kids so that this is something that isn't just impacting the adults, but also these kids are being raised up in this 
heart of thanksgiving and giving. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. In Exodus 19, the Israelites are called to be a nation, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They needed to shine that holiness of God to all. And that's what the psalmist in 105 is doing. He's seeking the Lord with his strength continually. He's singing to him. He's singing praises, giving glory in his holy name. And this family that has impacted me was living those words. They gave thanks for all they had, made known his deeds in the lives of others, giving out of a thankful heart. Their lives were the instrument of God. They were the lamp on the hill that could not be hidden. Their light shone so bright that it has impacted me in the way that I give to this day. And as this is a story of three families, it can now be a story of hundreds of families. If we leave this place and take this as something that can impact us to shine a light like they shone a light in my life. So today, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, let us be thankful for those who shine their light so that we can see God's glory and know how to shine ours. Let us be excited that we can be the light in someone else's life as we serve God and give him all the glory. Amen.